0: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Grab your credential. It's time to go Inside Press Row with Jordan Breen on the SureDog.com blog. Welcome Inside Press Row. I'm Jordan Breen. Comebacks in any sport when someone's maybe a little past their prime, a little long in the tooth tend not to go too well. Two-plus years ago, MMA legend BJ Penn was defeated by Frank Geiger for a third time. Thank you, Douglas Crosby. And Penn was pounded out in a lopsided fashion, bummed the MMA world out, and decided to hang up his gloves. Uh, if you know anything about BJ Penn, you're not surprised to no, know that lasted all of 18 months. And this past January, Penn decided he was going to have a comeback. Since then, he's gone through four slated opponents and hasn't got into the octagon yet. Now, we're on numero Quattro. Substart Mexican prospect Yaya Rodriguez in Phoenix, Arizona on January 15th at the Talking Stick Resort Arena, a far cry from UFC 94 and George St. Pierre, I'll say that much. And of course, sad MMA comebacks don't just stop with the prodigy, since we're also staring down the barrel heading into the new year of all-time heavyweight great Fedor Milenko after nearly being knocked out by Fabio Maldonado several times this past June, furthering his comeback efforts against Matt Mitrion in Bellator in February. So here to discuss two not just MMA icons and legends making comebacks, but two of the most beloved fighters in MMA history making comebacks of varying quality and questionability. It's a writer for MMA Junkie, USA Today, and Rolling Stone. It's Mike Bond. Mike, first, I mean, what, I guess we'll start with Penn because it happens chronologically. Um, I'm going to guess that you weren't exactly surprised when he announced he was going to Make a comeback in January, but as we've gone from Dennis Seaver to Cole Miller to Ricardo Lamas to now Yairo Rodriguez, how do you feel about BJ Penn's attempted comeback, which hell may not even happen ever?
1: Uh Not great. How can you really feel great about at this point? At the beginning, it just seemed so perfect. You know, he—we've all talked about him getting to the right camp, doing you know things correctly. The, the motivated BJ Penn, quote unquote. And it seemed like that was all coming together. He went to Jackson's, uh, the comeback fight against Dennis Seaver seemed like really the perfect matchup for him. Even if you maybe disagree with the fact he should be fighting at 145, maybe you like him better as a lightweight. Whatever, just seemed perfect that first attempt. And gradually, it's gotten worse and worse. The opponents have made less and less sense. Uh, I don't even know if he's training at Jackson's anymore. We've seen pictures of him, like, uh, in Huntington Beach, training with, like, Kido Ortiz and Jason Perillo and, like, that camp and stuff. So I really don't know, like, what is going on right now. He hasn't talked to anyone since he pulled out of the fight uh, over in the Philippines against Ricardo Lamas. So I have absolutely no idea what's going through BJ Penn's head right now. And uh, this latest booking is just very confusing to me.
0: I think one thing that does get lost in this is, is like you mentioned, the den receiver fight. Like If if BJ Penn was going to make a comeback, if he announces, hey, I want to fight again, the UFC is obviously not going to want to let this guy walk. They're going to want to utilize BJ Penn, who was at least a decent, if not massive star for the UFC. And they're not going to want to get him absolutely blown up, but they can't give him a chump either. You know, even if some people weren't stoked when he announced his comeback, thinking back to January and when people were were sizing this up for 196 and then 197 when it got rescheduled initially, um, it seemed like even if a lot of people weren't hip to the the BJ Penn return, there was kind of a sense that Dennis Seaver was an opponent that made sense for where Penn and the UFC were at. And like you said, it's just got increasingly crazier since then when it turned into Cole Miller, people kind of cocked an eyebrow. And now it's, it's become something different, you know, Ricardo Lamas probably would have hammered him senseless in the Philippines. And now people expect Yair Rodriguez to do, uh, I guess, basically what, what Nick Diaz did to him years ago, but with his feet instead of his hands, how, how have you kind of seen the, the opponents progress in your head? Like, do you think he would have beat Seaver and how do you think things will fare now against Yair Rodriguez?
1: Well, it's hard to say. Like I, I do think that matchup against Dennis Feaver was really good for him just because Dennis Siever probably not gonna be able to take him down, uh probably not gonna be able to wear him out against the fence and uh, I don't know, may I don't think or at least I wouldn't hope he would be able to outstrike Penn at this point in his career, but who knows? We saw how Penn came out trying to strike against Frankie Edgar on his tippy toes, so it's really hard to you know, judge how he's going to perform in a fight, but I definitely think that was a winnable fight for him. Even Cole Miller, I didn't mind that fight either. I mean, we saw, I believe, that fight on that card ended up being, what was it, Cole Miller versus Alex Ceperas or something like that, and I think yeah. Cole Miller didn't look entirely great on that night at UFC 199. So maybe, you know, if uh, BJ Penn showed up fighting that version of Cole that showed up on that night, I think that would have been a very winnable fight for him as well on that one. But then these past two, Ricardo Lamas, I mean, Ricardo Lamas, whatever you... I know he's kind of faltered in the, the title shot, stuff like that, but still, it, at worst, the top six, top seven uh, featherweight maybe even higher than that. So that fight, I think, would have been not good at all for BJ. Uh, that's probably the worst matchup at all. And then this Yara Rodriguez, I mean, on paper, yes, this guy looks like a killer, but BJ is probably, you know, the toughest, most experienced opponent, or no doubt he is, that Pantera has fought so far. So that one, I don't really... You know, right now it seems like, man, they're just setting up this legend to get absolutely destroyed by this young prospect. But we don't really know for sure. I mean, we don't know how a year is going to perform fighting a Hall of Famer in a main event, like on oh, such a big stage. There's a lot of pressure on him to, you know, deliver something big here. So I think for him, like, it's really a step up in competition. But right now it just seems like BJ could be put to such better use. You get him one win against someone like Dennis Siever, and you have, you know, a BJ Penn he can you know, sell tickets for you, you can put him pretty much anywhere, and he's still a main eventer, this and that, you just need to get a little momentum back on his side, but right now it seems like they're just setting him up to really elevate a prospect, which I don't disagree with using, you know, guys who are on the way out of the sport in that position, that's totally fine, I think that's the natural progression, and the natural, you know, way combat sports go, but just for this particular instance I think they're almost kind of killing off Penn before they can maximize his use at this point
0: and and the weird thing about the dynamic with the you Rodriguez fight is is like neither outcome seems great if Yair Rodriguez goes out and puts on the performance of his lifetime and just kicks the ever-loving shit out of BJ Penn <laughs> one, like one like I mentioned off the top Penn is so popular I mean Mike, I don't know, I I mean, I think, I'm pretty sure you were there, but, you know, honestly, dude, in, what year are we in now, approaching 2017, so, like, I've almost been doing, like, watching MMA for 18 years, I've been covering it for over a decade now, or going on a decade, no, actually, over a decade, and I can't think of the outcome of an individual fight, and maybe it would have been different if there was, you know, Twitter and social media earlier on, but the way that fans and media and fighters themselves reacted to the third Edgar Penn fight was unlike anything else I'd ever seen. I've never seen a combination of people screaming for a stoppage like that just out of mercy, but like mercy to Penn's reputation. He was getting his ass kicked, but it's not as though he was getting his ass kicked in a way that was going to take years off of his life. And when the fight was finally called, the kind of dejection and sadness that went with it. It's like, it wasn't like people watched, Oh, you know, they did this rivalry and they did the ultimate fighter and they were just trying to put together another big fight. People almost kind of seemed repulsed by the sport momentarily. I I can't think of anything else like that or anyone else that could maybe have people react that way. So, if the best case scenario is that your Rodriguez tunes BJ Penn up, I don't know that anyone gives him credit for it and will probably just turn up their nose and malign the UFC. If Penn wins, I mean, what can you even do with him? I mean, if he beats one of the best top, you know, one of the best up and coming featherweight prospects, you can't really move him up the ladder. Why would you want to redo Lomas Penn at that point when most people thought it was absolutely ridiculous the first time?
1: Yeah, it seems like for Rodriguez, I think there's a lot more to lose here. For Penn, I mean, he just needs to get a win and come back and not look absolutely miserable like he did against Frankie Edgar in doing so. And even if he loses this fight, like, I don't think you could, you know, run him back out there once more. But yeah, to go back to that Edgar fight, I remember being at the post fight press conference for that, and it was just a somber, somber mood among, uh, you know, the the coaches from like even other fighters just people hanging around the room all the media and then having him come in there and like pretty much on the verge of tears we saw how the other fighters on the stage were reacting even Frankie Edgar like you know gets this huge victory and (laughs) beats CJ Penn you know once again the third time and really just has to sit there and like it was Penn's moment just because everyone was like wow this is uh this is it and I've kind of Thought that that was going to be the end of him since then. Uh, he's made these various comeback attempts. And if he can win this fight, like, good for him. But it just seems like, yeah, like you said, if Rodriguez does, isn't able to beat Penn, how does that kind of change how people look at him? You know, at the end of the day, he's still losing to you know former two division UFC champion, UFC Hall of Fame, or all that kind of stuff. But at this point, you know, there's Penn is really damaged goods. He's the one that has more to prove at this point of, you know, where he really stands as far as Rodriguez. He, this will, you know, be a huge addition to his resume, get him even closer to, you know, title shot, all that kind of stuff. Really help build his momentum. But a lost year would definitely be a setback for him.
0: It also hurts because I think some of the things that make Penn great made him both a successful fighter, a legendary fighter, a two-division UFC champion, and someone that people loved. Easily one of the most popular mixed martial arts fight fighters ever across, you know, uh, fans, media, fighters. I think one, the fact that Penn has always been able to do things that really no one else could do. It's not just that he's an incredible grappler. It's like the way the style and the suddenness with which Penn can do it all always gives people this eternal hope that, you know, if someone just slipped and fell to their knees and BJ got their back, oh, it's a wrap. And two, for you know, there's lots of people that, you know, we understand we're they're going to have to be carted out of the octagon, basically like Chuck Liddell didn't want to stop fighting. Dan Henderson obviously doesn't want to stop fighting, but you get older, you start taking more shots, more damage. The the way that BJ Penn has taken damage, he's been pounded out and beat up on by a uh, fighter. So his career, but BJ Penn's got one of the best chins in MMA history. He's never been starched. He's not a guy who's getting hit on the feet and falling all over the place. He doesn't, like, even if he's a a shell of himself now, he's not getting knocked out left, right, and center like many faded legends we see where Dana White has to come in paternalistically and basically go, whoa, whoa, you can't fight anymore. The combination of his toughness, how, how much of a beating he can take, and also, like... The, the skills that made him the prodigy, those things combined both give people the idea that even at, you know, 37, 38, a faded pen can still beat someone because he has this incredible wizard like skill. And also he is tough in a way that in his own mind, probably like as crazy as BJ Penn is as confident as he is. And as much as he lives, the just scrap thing, if BJ Penn uh, if his last couple fights had gone down the way Chuck Liddell's did, I don't think he would feel the same way uh, about a, a comeback attempt. But those two things intersect in a way that I think it makes some people believe and, and entertain maybe the impossible. And on the, on the flip side, it's kind of dangerous just to basically go, well, he's not getting knocked out cold, so I'm sure his brain's fine.
1: Yeah, it's it's really hard to say because you look at the competition, BJ just saw it it's being, you know, ex-champion, title challenger, yeah. current champion, just over and over and over, the best guys every single time he's been fighting. Like, I'm looking at his uh, age right now in Dog and you go back to someone like, who's the a person that is even in this realm of, like, someone that's not as proven in the sport, this and that, uh, that would compare to a uh, Rodriguez. Like, it's very, very hard to find. You might have to go back, like, Way back before he came back to the UFC for that second stint, so I really don't know. Like everyone he's fighting is is absolute killers, and for Yara Rodriguez, like if I'm reading this right, the last you know Yara Rodriguez hadn't even started uh, fighting professionally the last time DJ Penn won a fight against Matt Hughes back in November 2010. <laughs> so like Penn has you know way more experience, you know every everything on his side. And, like you said, the fights he's lost, it's not like he's getting, you know, heinously one punch KO'd or anything like that. So, in a way, like, I know everyone's just so high on Rodriguez right now because of his flashy style and he's put together some good wins. But status at the end of the day, yes, he just went five rounds with Alex Cesaris, too. Like, it's not like he is you know, blowing the doors off his top five guys right now. PJ Penn is a step up in competition for him. Even at 37 years old, he'll be 38 by the time they fight. Really, like for him, it's a step up. So I understand the matchmaking. I just don't think it's the best use of BJ at this time. You know, even if he finally goes out there and takes a flying kick to the face in the first minute, gets knocked out, something like that. I just think there, and it, you know, does huge things for Rodriguez. I just think there's better use at Penn. You're just trotting him out there that if he does lose, if this is finally that time where he gets obliterated or he, you know, stands in there for five rounds and, you know, gets beat up again. I just think there's something better you could have done with him. get him a more winnable fight, and then maybe you do this fight you know two or three fights down the line. I guess you don't know with BJ if this one's gonna be the last one if there's gonna be you know two, three more after it, but I just think you could have uh, used him a little better and not put him in this position where you're asking all these questions.
0: I suppose that's another the point about it too. there's uh, there's probably a defeatism for Sean Shelby lining fights up. For BJ Penn, in the sense that you know you're not going to get like a long trajectory. You know it's going to be hard to think. All right, well we'll give him this fight, and if he wins it, then we can leverage to this. Especially in light of the fact that, like I said, I mean we're 11 months on into this thing now. His attempted odyssey to to come back. This is his fourth opponent. You know I don't I don't believe in the cosmos and fate and these kinds of things, but if there's if there are fight gods out there, it seems like they're screaming, stop! Cut it out. No more. Exactly. He's not supposed to be here.
1: Exactly. So, like, we're, what, this fight's happening in March. I know we're talking about it, like, but who knows? By the time fight night arrives, this could be, with the way DJ Penn's, you no know, career and this comeback is going, it could be, you know, Cole Miller versus Alex Caceres, too, is the <laughs> uh, main event of this card. So you don't really know. Like, hopefully that's the case. I just... Uh, for his sake, I want this to happen just so he can know whether or not, even if it's him, just you know, absolutely getting starched by Rodriguez and then coming to the press conference saying the same things he said last time. I just need to prove to myself uh, this and that that like I could not do it anymore. That that's fine. I just at this point, he needs to get out of the system. Like I just want him to be able to have a fight so he can know for himself one way or the other if this is all going to work. But it's just more and more. It's gradually concerning. Like. I want him to kind of talk about what the motivations are at this point. He's not training at uh it doesn't seem like he's training with Jackson's anymore. They, I don't know exactly what Rodriguez's deal is right now. I don't think he's spending most of his time at Jackson's. I don't know if that's where he did his last camp either, but it's, if he does go train there, like what's the deal there with BJ having to spend months and months with, uh, you know, Greg Jackson, Mike Winkle, Don, all those kind of dudes. And then, you no, know, if Rodriguez were to do his camp there. It's, it's a very strange thing. And I just want, it seems like Penn was for the first fight, the USC 199, that comeback against Dan Seaver, everything was just locked in. It seemed perfect. And then it just, the sawdust, he came up, he pulled out of the fight. And Salamis, for whatever reason, we still don't really know. He says he was injured, but, uh, you know, there's been rumblings otherwise. So I don't really know what his what's going on with him right now. And I just, it's, it's going back to that pre. Siever state where it seems like he was doing absolutely everything right then i'm happy to watch this man fight again because it seems like there was good people backing him but it, we don't know what the deal is now i have absolutely no idea what's going on with him going into this fight and to get someone as dangerous and as deadly as uh yara rodriguez that should be very concerning for you know everyone
0: one i think it's notable you mentioned the usada issue i mean it's not exactly taking steroids, but for a guy mm. like BJ Penn who hung his hat for so long and like, Oh, I'm clean. Matt Hughes, George. All for other... wimps, bro. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, steroids are for wimps. All these other guys out here, like they're athletes. I'm a real fighter. They're just trying to get huge and shrink their balls. Like they don't want to mess with me. And then we get the USADA era. He attempts to come back and he gets popped six months for using an IV. Now, like I said, in the span of, The spectrum of USADA violations, uh, some are worse than others, I don't think. There's a reason that people don't, you know, hold someone who was banned for using an IV in the same uh, lack of esteem that they would, someone who did steroids. But it's just like another way in which this entire undertaking has has given Penn black eye after black eye.
1: Yep, I mean, there's not much more you can say to that. The whole thing has just been uh, a mess, and I hope... Like I said before, for everyone's sake, that he actually gets through this camp and this fight can really happen. Because at this point, I know I wasn't too excited about the BJ Penn comeback number eight or whatever we're at at this point uh, from the very beginning. But at this point, after everything we've gone through over the past, I think you said 11 months or so since he announced this, uh, I'm pretty much over it. I just want to see him get back in there and either do this thing and have it go his way and kind of continue this run so we can move on from the narrative of actually talking about his comeback to, uh, you know, talking about other things, what fights to be next, or just have this thing stop dead in the water, and then we can actually move on from the idea of BJ Penn competing in the sport anymore pretty much for good.
0: One last thing on Penn before we get to uh, whatever horror may await, Fedor Molenenko or not. Um, <laughs> when, when BJ Penn won the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu World Championships before he ever fought a pro MMA fight, Yair Rodriguez was eight years old.
1: Yeah, that's, like, I mean, that's incredible.
0: Think about, think about however old you are. You know, I mean, I, Yair Rodriguez, like I said, I mean, he's, not like a, he's obviously not a, a super old guy or anything like that. So, you know, some people listening to this will be older. But still, you know, you're, if you're in your 20s, imagine what it was like when you were eight years old. If you're 23, 24, 25, imagine like, man, what has happened? What has happened in the world since I was eight? That's the same. That's the same length of time, more or less. You know, Bj Penn winning the world championships, and your Rodriguez still being at an age where you know he might piss his pants at school or whatever the case might be. So, on the other side of hyper popular, hyper legendary, beloved figures having comebacks. Fedor Emelianenko's hasn't his is unusually bad because he had the retirement fight against Pedro Hizo in in 2012. He leaves the sport for three and a half years, comes back because Ryzen has money, and he's only required to fight an Indian kickboxer who's not going to do a whole hell of a lot to him. He beats up Jadit Singh. This in turn turns into June. I mean, one of the saddest debacles I've ever been witness to in mixed martial arts is he essentially got his ass kicked by Fabio Maldonado knocked out and then won a a positively bullshit majority decision to keep this thing rolling. And as a result of it, he's got five wins in a row since being knocked out by Dan Henderson. And he gets a fight with Matt Mitrion Bellator come uh, San Jose in February. I can't act as though this is an unwinnable fight because Matt Mitrion doesn't really give a damn about learning anything on the ground. He's going to come to throw, and Fedor Emelianenko is still infinitely better than he is on the ground. But are you holding out that kind of hope, Mike? What do you first of all was your reaction to Mitrohin and Emelianenko being announced, and how do you size it up at this point?
1: Well, it just made me right away think back to that Fedor versus Fabio Maldonado fight, and just think that this is a massive step up from that. And Fedor barely won that fight—you know, questionable decision at best think you referred to it as bullshit earlier. I would disagree with that. And I think we were watching that together actually at the weigh ins for uh yes. UFC Ottawa show over the summer. Yes. And we were just like, what the hell is going on? Like Fedor <laughs> is getting ripped up, completely torn up by Fabio Maldonado in this first round. And you know granted, you know, to Fedor's credit, he's what, 30 40 years old now. Uh just turned forty, you know, in September or August. And he's still going in there. You know, he had every opportunity to quit. Uh, he could have, you know, laid down for Fabio there, and no one would have blamed him for all the damage he took in that first round. But really, we know he still, even at his age, has the, you know, characteristics of a true fighter. He showed, you know, resiliency, showed heart, all that kind of stuff to come back and, you know, really make that fight uh, into as close as it could possibly be after he got down pretty massively early in the fight. So you, just, but after that, you're like, man, he's not. He's not going to be much better against anyone that's really better than Fabio Maldonado. And Matt Mitrione, uh, for all his faults that you kind of listed there, he is most positively and certainly a better fighter than Fabio Maldonado at this stage of his career. So, And he's a, not a small heavyweight by any stretch of the imagination. I know Fedor has fought some massive guys in his career, but no one that really has the athleticism and. Of Matt Matrion for such a big guy, and that's something that really you know plays in Matrion's favor. I just for this fight, I mean, if we are going to do someone in Bellator in the heavyweight division, I guess it's not the worst fight. Like I think a fight against a Tito Ortiz or like Rampage or something might have been a better option, just because they're smaller heavyweight or you know big light heavyweights. I guess you could call them. They could fight you know as smaller heavyweights. I just think those would be better matchups, kind of aging guys. But for them to do Matt Matrion, someone who no, I wouldn't say is far out of his prime by any stretch. I mean, he was, I think, in the UFC, he could still probably hang around that top ten, top fifteen region and their rankings, whatever you know those mean. So, I think Matt Mitrione is probably the most competent fighter. has spot, probably dating back to that Dan Henderson match. So, uh, you definitely this is going to prove you know his medal and see what he has left in the tank. But in terms of the fights, the options, I think. Bellator maybe could have gone a little differently with the booking of it, but I just have no idea what their intentions are with Fedor. Do you think they're just going to get one fight out of him? I know he's signed a multi-fight deal. Uh, do they kind of want to, similar to the Air Rodriguez and uh, BJ Penn fight, do they want to kind of use the legend to build up a guy that they see a bigger future? And I know Matt Matreon's not a spring chicken either, but it seems like his future with everything he's doing with Bellator kickboxing, you know, doing the commentary there, seen post fight interviews, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it seems like they are pretty invested in making that material in, like a face of their company and uh, a bigger piece of their puzzle going forward. So I don't really know if they're thinking, you know, let's build up our guy here uh, with the legend that is Fedor and really make that work in our favor, or they see this as a, a winnable fight for Fedor as well, and then of course, he gets to win, and they can do you know, whatever they want with him going forward since he's on a multi-fight deal. I really don't know. So I can see the upsides of really booking this fight uh, from both perspectives. But for me, I think there was some better options out there. And similar to the BJ Penn comeback, you could have put Fedor to some better use here.
0: Obviously, I mean, they've been negotiating for a minute with Fedor Malenenko, but they had the Son and Ortiz idea in the works earlier, got firmed up. Ortiz probably would have been the best guy simply because the question with Fedor at this point in time is like, it's not like he forgot how to grapple. It's that physically, like I would compare where he's at right now to kind of like when Vanderlei Silva started going down the tubes where... Fedor didn't take as much outright damage as Vanderlei did during his career because he didn't brawl that way. But when you look at old Vanderlei, it's not that he had an awesome chin, per se. It's that his recovery was just off the charts. You know, he'd get dropped by someone like Shugoyama, but he would pop up and then just resume kicking their ass. I mean, yeah. maybe one of the most fam- famous Fedor and, Le- Man- Fedor and moments is him doing the fish dance against Fujita. And then coming back two seconds later, body kick punches, Runeik and Choke, peace out. He can't do that anymore. You know, even if he survived against Fabio Maldonado, he survived because the referee was a bystander, basically let him get knocked out twice. You know, and obviously physically, too, he's 40 years old. He's shopworn. One of the things that I think made Fedor great is even though everyone loved that he was just like this fat guy and looked like a plumber or whatever, he was an incredibly great athlete for like a guy who was like a fat 235 pounds. Now those things have dissipated. A guy like Ortiz, I mean, what? He's gonna—he's just gonna straight double leg Fedor and take him down for you know, a, you know, fifteen minutes? Doubtful. With Mitrione, I get the idea. Fedor should be able to tap him if he has anything left, but Mitrion can offer some serious wood on the feet. It's also weird thinking about Mitrione too because I don't—I don't, I don't want to sort of overstep and act like, oh well, I mean, he's gonna. Here's the thing. If you if you believe that Matt Mitrione is gonna knock out Fedor, by all means. I, I get it. But if you think this is categorically dismissively like this is ridiculous. Matt Mitrione's gonna kill this man. Can I point out to you that Matt Mitrione just nearly got knocked out by Carlcio Monatafa?
1: Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And
0: I think that's why it's a, you know, it is heavyweight at the end of the day. Uh, We know
1: Fedor, we've seen him time and time again put guys to sleep with his punches. And, you know, we do know that power is the last thing to go. So he can absolutely, and on top of that, as you mentioned, he has a pretty gaping advantage on the ground over someone like Mamatrium. So he does have multiple ways of winning this fight. You just have to wonder, and on top of that, Matt Matrion is going to probably oblige him in the type of fight he wants. I don't think Matt Matrion wants to win this fight by you know circling the cage for three rounds, pumping his jab, <laughs> and kind of picking Fedor apart for you know, 30-27 or 29-28 decision. I think if he's going to win this fight, he's going to go out there and he's going to try to bang with Fedor and lure him into a slugfest, and if he gets... If he gets knocked out, I think he's the type of guy that would be content with that, just knowing it's exciting if he wins that way. I think that's the way he wants to win. So for Mitreon, he's definitely going to go in there. He's going to give Fedor every single opportunity to win the fight, I believe. But I just don't really know at this point. Like, we haven't seen Fedor fight anyone uh, nearly this good, I feel, for quite a long time. Maybe not Matreon is a world beater, as you said, by any stretch. But he, uh, his been fighting better guys, he, I think, is going to come into this one, uh, you know, knowing how big of an opportunity is for his career. So, I really don't know how this fight's going to unfold. I could see them both um, both winning, especially with it being a heavyweight fight. We've seen uh, how easily the cables can turn those kind of matchups. But I think, going into this one, I do favor Mitch Rihon a little bit, just because uh, there's just so many question marks about that coming into a fight of this magnitude. Um, we've seen, you know, he hasn't really fared the best fighting in the States, either.
0: Mike Bonn, check out all this stuff on MMA Junkie in USA Today for Rolling Stone. And follow us, man, on Twitter at Mike Bond MMA. Nudge, elbow, punch, kick, step on somebody's laptop. Whatever you have to do to get a seat in Press Row, Wednesdays on the SureDog.com blog.